Production. Recorded live. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Bishop Dr. Lawrence Mwamba here in Dallas, Texas, with my wife, Terina Mwamba, broadcasting live here on TalkShoe from Dallas, Texas, here in the United States of America. I'm here to uh, remind you once again that we are in our study in the book of Genesis. You know what? We are studying this book because it's a book of beginnings, and it's the book that will lead us to having a deep understanding of the workings of God amongst his own people. You know, we are God's people. And God has a plan for each and every one of us. And that plan is that plan is for us to become capable believers who are going to uh, subdue the earth and reign as kings in the earth. We've been studying in this book now for a while, and uh, like I promised. We're winding up the book of Genesis, going into the book of Exodus. Well, you know, the World of Life Bible College now is about to go into a, a little bit of recess. We are taking a break, and I think it's going to be for like for two weeks to rest. We're calling it a spring break. Maybe we are even late. <laughs> but we're going to rest. According to the schedule which I posted, every student knows uh, when we begin and when we are ending. Uh, so I challenge you in the name of Jesus to study those students who have been following the studies because a test is coming. And therefore, study, read, take notes. Whenever you, you listen to a, a teaching like this, take notes so that you are ready to competently take the exams. Well, today we'll continue, like I promised you, I said we're going to look at the cutting of the covenant that God cut with Abraham. Now, when, what is covenant? You say, Bishop Momba, what is covenant? Covenant, like I explained before, in uh, our everyday language is like contract, a contract between two people, or in this case, between two parties. In actual fact, it was two people, between God and Abraham. The Old Testament is a covenant or a contract that was made between God and Abraham. The New Testament is a contract or an agreement that was made between God and Jesus Christ. So the New Testament overrides the Old Testament. But the Old Testament points to the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So in the Old Testament, many things that took place there pointed figuratively from the Old Testament into the reality that was to come, who is Jesus Christ. The tabernacle of Moses, which was the tabernacle of witness, which God instructed Moses to build in the wilderness, was a, a figure of the heavenly things that take place in heaven. And it pointed also to the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The lamb, the scapegoat, the blood of bulls and goats that were killed. And uh, whenever somebody committed a sin, they would lay their hands on an innocent animal. And that animal was killed by the priest. And the blood was put on the sacrifice, the, the altar of sacrifice, the brazen order. And it was burnt. And that person's sins, having been transferred to that animal, that person was in a sense, had their sins covered. But what you must know was that even though the sins were transferred to the animal, as the person laid his hands and confessed what he had done, and the priest went through the ritual of taking that substitute and sacrificing it so that the sins were like, in a sense, remitted, they were not, in a sense, completely obliterated or taken away. They were just covered. Awaiting the actual death of Jesus Christ, who was going to take away all sins. So in the Old Testament, sins were not, in a sense, taken away. Are you getting what I'm saying? Sins were covered. But in the New Testament, 
the sins were completely taken away. Our sins are completely taken away. Now, the sins in the Old Testament were covered pointing to the actual coming of Jesus Christ was going to pay the actual price to die for mankind. So when a bull was killed, the blood was, was poured on the altar of sacrifice, that bull or that goat or that lamb, it pointed to the coming death of Jesus when he was actually going to die on the cross of Calvary and shed actual innocent blood. Because the book of Hebrews says, the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sins, except the blood of Jesus. For no blood of an animal is going to take away the sins of a human being. You understand? The way God works is this. He works like this. If a human being commits a sin, that sin must be taken away by a sacrifice of another human being. You understand? Adam was a human being, six foot tall, plus some inches. I'm not, I don't know exactly how high he was, but about six foot. So when he sinned, it needed another man who was six foot tall to die for him. Now, it's believed that the cohabitation, although some theological uh, research say, well, in Genesis 6, the angels did not actually sin with the daughters of men. But according to the readings that I get, when I read the Bible, it says the angels looked at the daughters of men and liked the daughters of men and cohabited with, with them. And from that cohabitation were born giants of renown, the Rephihims, the Nephidim, the Rephihims, and people like Goliath. People who are so huge beyond uh, 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 our normal human stature. Now, it's believed that the, the reason the devil did that was to destroy the seed because, you see, a giant did not sin. No Goliath sinned. It was Adam who sinned about six foot tall. So if giants came into the earth, there would be no proper second Adam. You see, second Adam who was going to die for us. See, the courts of heaven, in heaven, I always say there are courts in heaven. God sits there, the living creatures sit there, the elders sit there. The courts of heaven would have said, hey, God, I mean, the Adam is the one who died, who sinned. How can you send a giant to die for mankind? But you see, it was the devil's scheme to offset the plan of God so it wouldn't work. But you know, God is wiser than the devil. And he preserved the seed of Adam through this lineage we are looking at. So today we are going to look at the covenant that God cut between himself and Abraham. That was to usher in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. I'd like us to read again in the Word of God, but before we do that, shall we look to the Lord in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we come before your divine holy presence once again. We pray that the Spirit of the living God himself is going to minister to us as we look through your Word today, as we study in the book of Genesis, we pray that the Holy Ghost will give us a quickening of understanding. And that the words that will come, Lord, are going to come with the frequency and the, uh, 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 proper clarity and proper understanding. And that uh, as the people are going to listen, they are going to know that you, the King of glory, you are with us. And that you are speaking to us. To build us up in the most holy faith. We give you honor and glory, Lord, thanking you for your faithfulness and grace, that you build an army that will go forth and defeat the powers of hell. We thank you and bless your name, Jesus Christ, for you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Be blessed, Master, we pray in Jesus' name. As everybody agreed together and said, Amen. Now, I'm going to read, continuing from Homan. Homan Illustrated Bible Handbook. This is the textbook we're using in the Word of Life Bible College. Now, I'm going to start where Homan is talking now about uh, the prologue. The prologue, uh, you know, when you, we talk about prologue, what's prologue? 
prologue is an introduction of a theme of an opening of a thought or an opening of a chapter or an opening of a dialogue that's prologue it's the beginning of the of the dialogue and in this prologue we see number one creation for and the need of redemption now here Homan has got a subheading it says how genesis fits into god's story number one prologue like i said prologue is an introduction or the beginning of something creation in the prologue we see the creation secondly we see the fall and then thirdly we see the need for redemption you remember i explained what redemption is redemption means to redeem what is to redeem to redeem simply means to buy back say for example you have something uh, there's a story mostly told, you know, about a young boy who had a violin. And this young boy had lost the violin, and somebody picked it and went and sold it to a, a shopper who had, uh, you know, used instruments that he sold. And this particular shopper put the violin in the window. And one day the boy was passing by, and he saw his violin in the window on sale. He said, come on, that's my violin. He went into the shop and talked to the shop owner and said, sir? You have my violin in the window. He said, which violin? Then the boy went and pointed to the violin and said, this is my violin right here. The shop owner said, no, that's not your violin. This is my violin. I have it in this shop. Somebody came because here we buy secondhand goods which have been used and we resell them. Somebody brought it to me and I bought it for resale. If you want to get the violin, you better get it at the price shown in the window. See? So although the violin belonged to the young boy, he couldn't get the violin until somebody paid for it to get it out of that shop. You understand? And so the boy was started to cry and cry and went back home and explained it to his father. The father came and explained to the shop owner and said, yeah, this is my son's violin. But the man said, you know, I don't have any proof. All I know is this is my violin because I bought it for resale. And this is the price for the violin. The father had no option but to come up with the money that the shop owner wanted for the sale of that violin. That violin was again purchased by the father and given to the son at a higher price. Because it was no longer his son's violin, it belonged to the shop owner. Now, the boy was so happy when he had the violin, he started playing the music, and the father was excited too. Even though he paid a big price of money, he was still happy that the son had the violin. Now, that's an example of what redemption means. The violin is us, human beings. God had us in his hands, and he placed us through Adam in the Garden of Eden. But then, the violin was lost. Because Adam and Eve failed and sinned against God. And so human beings came under the possession of the devil. So even though God created man, he was no longer his. He belonged to the devil. You understand? Because the devil had the grip over the man's spirit. The spirit of darkness and death. And so when God went to claim man, the devil needed a price to be paid. For that violence to be given back to God, the human being. And so, through their negotiation and the talk, it was agreed that there was to be a price paid because God cannot commune with sin and God cannot mix with sin. So, one of the righteous of the righteous in heaven, of the three, who was God himself, had to come down in human form and die to purchase that violin and bring back into its original state. So, Jesus came, died on the cross, and through his death, he brought us back again and took us out of the grip of the devil, and we are the redeemed violin given back to God. You understand? So we have been purchased with a price. So we, are not, we no more don't belong to the devil, because God paid a price through Jesus Christ our Lord. So even though we belong to God as creations of God, when Adam fell, we were under captivity, under, under the bondage of Satan. So it took God through Jesus Christ to agree. Jesus agreed to come and suffer here on earth. Although he was God, the Bible says in the book of Philippians, he humbled himself even to the death 
or act on the cross of Calvary. He, even though he was God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but humbled himself even in, into being born as a human being and dying a brutal death at the cross of Calvary so that we can become children of God, you see? So to redeem is to buy back. To buy back that which belongs to you. Redeem means buy back and bring the thing back to its original state. Redeem. To deem something, to deem it right means you deem it right. You bring it to its rightful position. So redemption is the process of bringing man to his rightful position in the presence of God. Amen? Now that's a simple explanation of redeem. Now we see there in the prologue, like I said, uh, there is the creation, the fall, and the need for redemption. Number two, we see God builds a nation in 2000 to 931 BC. Three, God educates his nation, 931 to 386 BC. Four, God keeps a faithful remnant, 586 to 6 BC. Five, God purchases redemption and begins the kingdom, 6 BC to 30 AD. Now, 6 BC, that's when Jesus was born. Jesus came into this world around 6 BC to 30 AD. That's the time when Jesus died. Jesus lived for 30 years after he was born. When we say BC and put the 5 BC, those are workable numbers because when Jesus was born, time changed from BC to AD. So in actual fact, it's tracked back to zero. So when you begin from the birth of Christ going backwards, you start with zero and you climb the numbers. The further you go from the time Jesus was born to the time of Adam, it's approximately 4,000 years. Hear that? 4,000. So you count zero going back to Adam, it's about 4,000 years. Then from the time Jesus was born to today, it's 2,000 years. So if you combine from the time Adam came into this world to the time Jesus came in this, in this world and left this world up to now, the change is, is in existence, is 6,000 years. You understand? 6,000 years. Now, when you go with the time clock of God, because God goes by a day to the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day unto the Lord. The Bible said God created the world in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. Now, theologically speaking, theologians who do study ex es es eschatology. Eschatology is the study of end time things. In ex eschatology, you find that the six days, they, they calculate and say, since a day is of a thousand years, and a thousand years as a, as a day unto the Lord, God took six days to create the worlds. In actual fact, when if you are studying with me, you know that when God started calling out the sun and the stars and everything, it was a recreation. Those things were already there. They were just obscured because of the flood of the devil whom God punished. And the earth brought forth the waters that covered the heavens and all that. Uh, because, you know, if God said in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then verse 2 says, and the earth was without form and void. Where does the form and void come from? Because when God creates anything, it's perfect. There's no need of voidness. Where is voidness going to come from? So it's believed that that Genesis 1 verse 2 is what they call the gap theory. The gap theory simply means that there were human, kind of human or kind of any kind of beings that were ruled by the devil here on planet Earth who had sinned together with the devil and were punished. And because of that, that creation died and perished. So the worlds were still there, but because of the punishment and the flood, everything was obscured. God had to speak forth because the spirit of the Lord brooded over the face of the waters. As the spirit of the Lord was brooding, when God spoke, things began to be created, recreated, or brought forth from where they had been. So theologians have calculated and discovered that since a day is as a thousand years to the Lord, and since God took six days to create the heavens and the earth, that means this world is going to run for 6,000 years. Since God rested on the seventh day, the theologians agree and say on the seventh day, which is the, the 7,000 year, before the 7,000 year hit, 
Jesus is going to physically, in a sense, come in a rapture to the earth, take his own, and will be gone after the 6,000 years. The devil is going to rule and say he was his God. The Antichrist is going to arise and all that. And then God, the Lord Jesus, is going to come back to earth after he has given us the rewards in the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we're going to be with the Lord in the heavenly. We'll be rewarded for what we have done in Christ if we did it faithfully. Pastors will receive crowns for the pastors and elders and whosoever did whatever you did in the kingdom of God, you'll be rewarded at the great supper of the Lamb, the marriage of the Lamb, where God now is going to be united through Christ with us, and we're going to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, time without end. Now, there will be seven years here on earth of great tribulation, and after the seven years, Jesus is going to come in the valley of Armageddon and he's going to fight the demons and devils that are there that arose to oppose the children of God and put people of God in bondage. And Jesus is going to put the devil in chains in hell, appending his final judgment in the lake of fire. Then Jesus is going to come down with us because we shall be changed to be like him. And he's going to rule in this whole world from Jerusalem for 1,000 years. And we who are redeemed shall rule with him. And so shall we be with the Lord and rule on this earth. The assignment to be given depends on how faith we have been in this world and what God can trust you with. If you have never handled anything in the church, governmental-wise, or you have never been trusted with anything, you will be doing nothing. You will just be a follower. You will be working somewhere. <laughs> I don't know what you will be doing, really. And so, for 1,000 years, God is going to show forth how his kingdom parades. After that 1,000 years, then the end is going to come. There's going to be an uprising again from the devil. For the Bible says you'll be loosed for a little while. And it's going to go again, deceive nations, that even after they have seen the righteousness of God, people are going to oppose God. Then at that time, God is going to take the devil, bind him and throw him in the lake of fire, which is prepared for him, the devil and his angels. Then the heavens are going to pass away in a loud voice. It's going to be the recreation of a new heaven and a new earth. But before that, there'll be the great white throne judgment. Now, we who are children of God, who would have already been risen and been with Christ, and would have ruled with him here on earth, and when the white throne judgment comes, it's now for those people who died without Jesus. They will rise again from the dead and come before God. They will be judged according to what is written in the books, and whosoever, book is not, whosoever name is not found written in the book of life shall be cast into the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That will be the culmination of the plan of God, and the devil will be cast into the lake of fire together with his demons and all those whose names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life. You say, Bishop Mamba, how do I get my name written in the Lamb's book of life? By accepting Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and saying, Lord, come into my life and take full control of my life. When you make that confession, God is going to write your name in the Lamb's book of life. You'll be what we call born again. Which means you have been born from the life of darkness and death into the life of God with Jesus Christ. Then, when the devil is thrown into the lake of fire, finally the heavens shall pass away like a curtain, as the Bible says in the book of Second Peter. And the new heavens and the new earth shall come down, as it's spoken of in the book of Revelation. And then... Jesus shall reign and rule forever and ever, and his headquarters shall be in Jerusalem. And we shall live in peace, we shall live in joy, we shall live in bliss. And you know, you say, well, Bishop Mabu, what am I going to be doing? There will be a lot of things to do. This the whole earth is going to be recreated. By the way, we are not going to go to another planet. We shall be just right here on earth, because God prepared this earth for the sons of men. This earth is going nowhere. It will be renewed, but we'll be here. I don't know what kind of mansions we're going to live in, how God is going to do it. God is great. Can you see how he put the planet Mars? Can you see how planet Neptune is up in the sky? Can you see all these galaxies? And he is so great. He knows how to create things, and he knows how to make mansions for us. Are you getting what I'm saying? So Jesus will rule again, and there will be peace forever and ever. I don't know. We might, some of us will be ruling. You know, 
depending on your faithfulness, you'll be assigned to help rule maybe in some galaxy somewhere. I don't know. God is the ultimate planner of everything. But in this case, where we are studying right now, we better come back to earth and come back to where we are right now and let's look at what God has got for us right now. So listen to the word of the Lord. He says in verse in number point number six, God spreads the kingdom through the church, AD 30. Now, why do we say AD 30? AD 30 is the annual domino, the year of our Lord 30. That means from the time Jesus came to counting, from the time he died and arose from the dead and he's gone, to the time of actually his birth, mainly uh, AD 30 means in the year of our Lord when God was alive and actually he died. We believe that Jesus lived up to AD 30 somewhere there. The church began in AD 30 because when Jesus died and rose again and went to heaven, he told the disciples to tarry in Jerusalem until they be endued with power from on high. Now, what was that endowment with power from on high? The Holy Ghost was going to come down on the apostles and disciples of Christ who were in Jerusalem, and they were going to be empowered to go around the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Because when you read in the book of Matthew 28, verse 19, it says, Go ye therefore unto all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and to soever who believeth, baptizing the name, them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and, lo, I'm with you, Till the close of the age. And this sign shall follow you where you go. You shall, you know, uh, uh, heal the sick. You shall open blind eyes. You shall raise the dead. You shall touch or eat, take any deadly things shall do no harm unto you. But the main thing, the Great Commission is Matthew 28 and verse 19. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, 18 and 19, to all nations. After that is done, then shall the end come. So, the day of Pentecost, why they call it Pentecost, was the day when the Holy Ghost fell upon the believers who were waiting in Jerusalem because Jesus said, go wait until you be endued with power from on high. Jesus was being taken from the earth by the power of the Holy Ghost. He didn't need a jet. He didn't need an airplane. Jesus took at the mountain, talking to the disciples, and as he blessed them, he started to ascend, and they looked at him, and he was going up in heaven until he disappeared in the cloud. The disciples and all the believers were looking up as the Lord went, and they were shocked, and they kept on looking until he disappeared. Then the angel of the Lord appeared where the angels, where the disciples were looking, and said. You men and women of Jerusalem, why do you gaze in the heavens as it were? A strange thing to you. This same Jesus whom you see taken away from you shall come in like manner also. So you just go and do what he told you to do. Although the angel did say, just go and do what he told you to do. He said, Jesus shall come in like manner as you see him go. So they left. The Bible said when Jesus had appeared, he had appeared to some 440 people, more than that, who had seen him alive in Jerusalem. When Jesus spoke and said, go tarry, there were about 400 and some people who heard him say, go tarry. Tarry means wait. Go wait for me. Now, tarry, that word is used in scripture where you wait in a sense of prayer. You are in a home or in a church. You are praying. That's what they call tarrying. Many people say, we're going to tarry for a week. That means they'll be doing nothing but praying and fasting in God's presence. So God told them to go tarry in Jerusalem until they be endued with power. What does the word endued with power mean? Endued with power means until you be empowered to do what I've told you by the Holy Ghost. So they went to Jerusalem, back to the house of Mary. Mary, who was a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, in actual fact, she had a house there in, uh, in Jerusalem. They went back to that house and gathered in the upper room, 120 of them. So from four or 500 and some people, disciples who heard Jesus tell them to tarry, only 120 
waited in Mary's home, in the upper room. And as they continued to worship the Lord and tarry, suddenly there was a right mighty rushing wind, as it were, and the Holy Spirit came like a mighty rushing wind, and the Spirit of the Lord fell upon each and everyone who was in that house. And it, the, the, the Spirit appeared like tongues of fire on each and everyone's head. And each one began to speak in another language that they had never learned. But the amazing phenomena was that each one heard the other speak in another language and understood what they were saying. Until they all said, hey, and these Parthenians, and these people from Jerusalem and Judea, and these people from Greece, why is it that they speak in another language and we understand what we are saying, a language we have never learned? Then Peter, because this phenomenon happened at early in the morning, around 3 a.m. in the morning, because they were tearing through and through, non-stop praying. And at 3 a.m., there was this at best, and there was a mighty flame, as it were. People, when they hear these people shout, because when the power fell, they shouted at the top of their voice. So when the people heard, they came around to look, and it was early in the morning, they said, these people are drunk. That's when Peter stood up and said, hey, these people are not drunk. This is it which was promised by the prophet Joel, that in the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And this is it that the Lord said, I'll pour my spirit upon all flesh. These people, Peter said, look, it's three in the morning. No pub, no buy is open at this hour. So these people are not drunk, but they are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible said that day, if you read the book of Acts, in beginning in chapter 1, 2, and 3, you find that when, as the day was breaking, Peter was speaking to many people gathered to witness this strange thing that had happened. And from the preaching of Peter, 3,000 people were born again into the kingdom, and they were baptized. When 3,000 people were born again and baptized, the church began to grow, and it never stopped growing up till today. Now, the Catholic Church has got, I believe, now 1.5 billion people who are Catholics. <laughs> you understand? The world right now, we are about 7.5 billion people. 7.5 billion. The Catholics are like 1.5 billion. So we Christians, the evangelicals included, and the others, when we combine, we're almost close to 2 billion people who are born again and spirit-filled. The rest of the 5 billion people are still in darkness. They are Muslims. They are these people with different religions, the Shantois, the Buddhists, the, 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 the people from uh, 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 India and all these other places worshiping other gods. So we have a work as a church to go out there and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. People say, well, there are too many churches. Well, we need more churches. Uh, 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 is the whole world born again yet? No. So whatever area God places you, do the best you can for God who is going to hold you accountable. That's why I preach here on radio. Some people are going to listen to this message. God will draw some and they will be born again. That's why we train pastors so they can go out in the world and multiply and get the word of God and do great and mighty works for Jesus. You understand? And so we see here, when we look at the points, it says here that um, uh, the church was spread. Point number six, God spreads the kingdom through the church, AD 30. Then point number seven, according to Holman Illustrated Bible Handbook, God consummates redemption and confirms his eternal kingdom. Now, what does it mean to consummate redemption and confirms his eternal kingdom? To consummate means to completely end and authenticate that this is it. When a marriage is consummated, that means husband and wife become husband and wife after the wedding. That's consummation. And so here the Bible is telling us that God is going to consummate, God consummates redemption and confirms his internal kingdom. That means he actually authenticates his son as the redeemer of the world and gives this eternal promise of the coming kingdom of God. Then we see in point number eight, epilogue, new heaven and new earth. The epilogue, when we talk about new heaven and new earth, we are talking just as I've been explaining right now. In the book of Revelation, it's right there. In uh, Revelation 20, it, talk, it talks about the end of the world. It talks about the new kingdom coming again. It talks about how Jesus is going to reign in the earth. 
So when you have time, students, you need to read the Bible. The book of Genesis ends in Revelation and chapter 22. And you can read there and grow in the things of God and find out exactly what's going to happen to us in the end. For it says there in Revelation 22, verse 12, And behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. You understand? According to his what? To his work. According to what you do is how God is going to reward you. Listen. Verse 13 of Revelation 22. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Verse 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gate into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loves and practices a lie. Verse 16 of Revelation 22. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I'm the root and the offspring of David. The bright and morning star. See, we call Jesus the bright and morning star. He's saying it himself. I'm the offspring of David. We also see a cross-reference there in my Bible in Numbers 24, verse 17. Verse 17 of Revelation 22. And the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who is thirsty or who thirsts come, Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, the Bible, and especially the book of Revelation, as it was given as a prophecy to John, the beloved apostle. You know, John was a disciple of Jesus Christ. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues, that are written in this book. Cross-reference Deuteronomy 4.2 and 12.32. Revelation 22, verse 19. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. We also see a cross-reference in Revelation 20, verse 12, and Revelation 21, verse 27. Last verse of the Bible, Revelation 22, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I, ca- I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Verse 21. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. And this is the conclusion of the whole Bible, that Jesus is coming. But, you know, I, I'm reading from Homer's handbook, and he's telling us, the divisions of the Bible beginning from the book of Genesis. Now, here in Romans, they say, looking at Christ in Genesis, Jesus Christ in Genesis, or Christ in Genesis. Creation is the first theme of Genesis, and Christ is the agent of creation, for everything was created by him. Now, when we read in Colossians 1 verse 16, you find that Christ, everything that was created was created by him and for him. I'm going to read in Colossians and the book of chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, we want to see what we're talking about right here. You go to Ephesians, then Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read here from verse number 16. Colossians 1, 16. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Verse 15 says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Verse 16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Verse 17. And is before all things, and in him all things consist. Now, here Romans is trying to show forth how that Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, is the epidemic or or the ultimate completeness of creation. For everything that we see, be visible and visible, we are created 
through him, through Jesus Christ. Now, when you look there, it says Christ has redeemed, Christ as redeemer is first promised in Genesis 3.15. When God commanded Abraham to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, he provided a substitute. Now, here Homer is saying, Christ as redeemer is first promised in Genesis 3.15. Now, what does God say in Genesis 3.15? Now, when you read from the word of God, the Bible says in Genesis 3, verse 15, I'm reading from the new uh, King James Version of the Bible, and listen to the word of the Lord. Genesis 3 and verse 15. You know, I'm turning these my pages. You know, my Bible is very brand new, so they stick together. Verse 15, Genesis 3. And I will put an enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. We see cross-reference there in Romans 16, 20, Revelation 12, 9. And he shall bruise your head, and he shall bruise his heel. Now, here God was speaking to Adam, and also speaking to the serpent, who is the devil. Uh, mainly the conversation was directed towards the devil and the woman. Because you see, the devil deceived the woman who was Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit. By the way, when Eve was eating of the forbidden fruit, where was Adam? Now many say, well, Adam was not there. That's why Eve was deceived. No. The Bible said she took of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, ate of it and gave it to her husband with her. You understand? Gave it to her husband or gave it to Adam, who was just like that. Because if, say, for example, Adam was about a hundred miles away, <laughs> and then Eve takes of the forbidden fruit, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, eats it. How is he going to give the husband with her when he's 100 miles away? You know 100 miles away how far that is? Oh, you're going all the way to uh, New Jersey. You understand? Or oh, you're going all the way to Tulsa, cross up north here in America. I'm, I'm speaking uh, from verse 15. What, what is this verse 15? You want to read? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Verse 6. My wife is just... Uh, saying that uh, if uh, some people want to know where, you know, Adam gave the, 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 the fruit, he uh, gave the fruit to the husband. He was right there in verse 6, you know? Because if you read there, it says in verse 6 that, uh, let me, let me, let me, you know, read there, because my Bible, like I said, <laughs> this my Bible sticks. Okay, 3 verse 6, it says, verse 5, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Amen? So both of them ate. You know, in fact, you can sign, you could, could sign in. Mm. Yeah, verse 7 says, and the eyes of them both were opened. And so, yeah, the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. Now, my point here is, 15, he says, when God said, because he cast the serpent in verse 14 he says so the lord said to the serpent because you have done this you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life and i will put an enmity between you and the woman and between you and a seed and a seed he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel now here in genesis 15 homan says that's where the Redeemer was promised. Because he said, I'll put an enemy between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. You and the woman. Mainly, when you speak of the woman in a sense, it's the church. When you go into interpretation. Because we are the bride of Christ. You understand? 
So the church is the bride of Christ. So when God was saying, I'll put an enmity between you and the woman, he's talking about the devil and his kingdom and the church. Now, the seed of the woman, who is the seed of the woman? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman. And he says, and your seed. Who is the seed of the devil? The demon? The devil? The evil that goes on into this world. What is the devil going to do? The devil is going to, you see, he says, the, he shall bruise your head. Who shall bruise your head? Jesus Christ shall crush, bruise the head of the serpent, and you shall bruise his heel. What does that mean, bruise his heel? The devil attacked Jesus, killed him, understand? And he was laid in the grave. But Jesus did not fully perish, in a sense. The Holy Ghost raised Jesus from the dead. So the heel of Jesus was the heel of Jesus was proved. The son of Mary, or the offspring of God, the son of God was bruised. The heel was bruised. But by Jesus dying and going into hell, the Bible says he took the keys of life and death from the devil and he gave him a terrible punch. By taking those keys. And taking the powers of the devil away, he bruised the head of the serpent. That's what he said here. And he shall bruise your head. The devil's head is confused. He doesn't know the plan of God. The devil doesn't know where God is going. And he's so bruised that even we, when we pray, we start to speak in other tongues. The devil doesn't understand what we are saying because we're speaking in the language of angels. For you to pray in tongues. And so we see here the divine promise of God that Jesus will come and you crush, like Reynard Bonker said, crush the head of the serpent. But in other words, the Bible says, bruise your head. Which means the devil is not like dead yet, but he's dead while he's walking. You understand? The life of real sustenance has been taken out of the devil. That's why we can bind him in the name of Jesus. And stop him in his tracks and say, devil, that's as far you can go. I speak for the word of God, that I'm a child of God, and I'm protected by him. Get away, sir. You see what I'm saying? But the Bible says in Matthew 18, verse 18 and 19, that whatsoever the two of you shall agree upon us touching here on earth, it shall be done of them of my Father which is in heaven. Two of us. If we agree, like we are going now, my wife and I, we are here, we are speaking, we are teaching. And as we speak and we join hands and pray, the Bible says, whatever the two of you shall agree as touching in prayer, it shall be done of you of my Father which is in heaven. That was Jesus telling the disciples. For whatsoever you shall bind on earth, what is to bind? When you bind something, you restrict its movement. So you can bind the devil out of your finances and restrict his messing around with your money. You can bind the devil out of your family, messing with your children, messing with whatever he's doing. You can bind people who are giving you, like they say in Nigeria, wahala. Wahala means trouble. You can bind such a thing and it will stop from harassing you. So whatsoever you bind on it shall be bound in heaven. So what it means that God is going to sanction what you bind. And whatsoever you lose on it shall be loose in heaven. What does that mean? If you lose something, to lose means to let go free. So if the devil has restricted the finances in your life, when you lose the money, you say, Lord, I lose that money. Devil, get off my finances in Jesus' name. The devil is going to let your money go. And your money is going to come to you. You understand? And so we see here that these are the steps that uh, uh, our dear brother, uh, here in this book, uh, our textbook, Homer and Illustrated, is talking about. Now, it says, when God commanded Abraham to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, he provided a substitute for Isaac. Now, what does this mean? That he provided a substitute for Isaac. When God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, you know what that means? Because of the covenant. Now, right now, I want to get into the covenant before we go any further. Turn to Genesis 15. Now, in Genesis 15, the Bible says, 
after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham, and I'm your shield and your exceeding great reward. Cross-reference here in my Bible is Psalms 28, verse 7, verse 2 of Genesis 15. But Abraham said, Lord, God, what would you give me, seeing I go childless, and the hair of my house is the years of Damascus? Verse 3. Then Abraham said, mind you, the Bible writes A-B-R-A-M, because he hadn't been infused with the God's divine power. So he was still Abraham. And Abraham said, look, you have given me no offspring indeed. One born in my house is my hair. Verse 4. Genesis 15, verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your hair, but one who will come from your own body shall be your hair. Verse 5. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Let's stop for a minute. Here God, Abraham, is talking to God. God is promising Abraham that he is going to bless him and that his descendants shall be like the stars of the heavens. He takes Abraham and shows him. He says, look into the heavens. And Abraham looks into the heavens and God says, you see the stars? That's how your descendants shall be. Then Abraham turns to God and said, God, what do you mean that my descendants are going to be like the stars? And in fact, as you go down to read more, it's just like the stars on the seashore. It's not the he said, Lord, you have not given me an offspring. Mind you, when God took Abraham, who is Abram, A-B-R-I-A-M, out of the air of the Chaldee, Abraham was... 75 years old. That means, biologically speaking, he was past the age of bearing. Both himself and Sarah, who was Sarah, they were beyond the, 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 the physical, biological fertility to bring forth a child. So that's why Abraham was telling God, hey, what do you mean, God, that I'm going to be a father of many nations? Look, I'm 75 years old and my wife is past the end. Look. <coughs> Excuse me. That's when God now told Abraham, I'm going to cut a covenant with you. So we see there in verse number six, because in verse five it says, Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And said to him, so shall your descendants be. Now look at verse 6. And he believed in the Lord and he counted to him for righteousness. What happened here? The Bible said when God showed Abraham the stars of the heavens, that's, that's how his descendants were going to be. The Bible said Abraham believed God. Even before he saw any change in himself or Sarai, he believed what God told him. Friends, that's what we call faith. And because Abraham believed God even before he could see any child, Abraham believed God even before he saw any change in him. Abraham believed God even before he saw any change in Sarah. The Bible said it was accounted for him for righteousness. What does that word righteousness mean? Righteousness means uprightness before God. When you are declared righteous, then you are without blemish. This believing by Abraham qualified him to be a friend of God. This believing of Abraham right here qualified him for whatever God do in his life because by believing he opened his spirit to receive the seed of God. Let me tell you this friend. Whatever God promises you. See he has spoken to us to build this 
Bible college, Word of Life Bible college, James Dallas said. From the standpoint of the human point of view, it looks like impossible. We're talking of some millions of dollars to get buildings and structures in place and, and students and books and desks and computers and cars and trucks and vehicles. That's millions of dollars. But let me tell you what. What is important is the way it's spoken to us. Do we believe that this school is going to exist in Dallas? I do. And because we believe the power that similarly worked in Abraham, who was totally dead, he couldn't bear a child. Neither could Sarah bear a child. But because Abraham believed what God promised him, he had a son by the name of Isaac. In the same way, when we believe here in Dallas, Texas, that the Word of Life Bible College is going to exist, it will exist. You say, Bishop Mama, how is it going to exist? I don't know. <laughs> God is the one who knows. I don't know. You mean, I, I, did I ever know I was going to preach on talk show? No. Did I ever know there was anything called like talk show? No. Did I ever know there was anything called like block, <laughs> block talk radio? No. Did I ever know I was going to go on YouTube? No. I didn't know. But what I knew is to believe in. And God starts to take you by baby steps. See what I'm saying? It takes you a small step, like yo, we are on talk show. I'm talking to you right now, wherever you are around the world. By faith, you are there. One step, block talk radio. We started ministering to over 6,000 people around the world. YouTube. We are on YouTube. I just got to brush up and make the, the, the presentation more exciting and more details, and it's going to happen. It's a step at a time. Carpenter, the pastor, I think he's in Atlanta, Georgia. He began with the camera I have here in my hand right now. He began with a camcorder in his bedroom, broadcasting from a camcorder now. He has his own, own television ministry. He has those huge cameras. He has got cameramen. He has got editions. He's on Desta. He's on TBS. He's on Channel 4. He's on Channel 8. Why? And how did it happen? By believing God. All it takes is to believe God. Once you believe God, then God opens up the heavens to fulfill his word. Amen? But let's see here. Here God now, because Abraham believed God, that's what the Bible says. Verse 7, then he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the air of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. Verse 8, and he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So everybody wants proof. Here Abraham now he said, how shall I know? Now look, verse 9. So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer. Now here God is about to cut a covenant with Abraham. What is a three-year-old heifer? It's a three-year-old cow, a baby cow. is a heifer. He said, bring me a three-year-old heifer, baby cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a tattered dove, and a young pigeon. Now, these items God asked for is now about to make a covenant with Abraham. Then he brought all these to him to cut them in two down the middle and place each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. We have a cross-reference here in Leviticus 1.17. And when the vouchers came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. Now what's happening here? God is now cutting a covenant with Abraham. These animals that he asked for have been placed. A three-year cow, a heifer, male cow, a three-year old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a tattered dove, and a young pigeon. These animals were cut in half, facing the pieces facing each other, but the birds were not cut in half. And he brought all these to 
to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite each other, but the, he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vouchers came down on the carcasses, now see the vouchers are a representation of the devil. When you are in a covenant with God, vouchers will come to disturb what God is doing with you. It's your responsibility to drive those vouchers away. God did not drive the vouchers away. Abraham drove the vouchers away. When the devil starts to attack what God has committed into your hands, it's you and me, it's our responsibility to drive the devil away. It's not God's responsibility. God is not going to come and cast out demons out of your house. <laughs> God is not going to come and say, hey, finances come in. No, he's already done what he can do in the covenant with Jesus Christ. God is not going to come and say, hey, be healed. He has already healed 2,000 years ago. It's you and me to claim it. God is not going to come and say, bind the devil. I bind you, devil. Get out of Larry's house. Get out of it. No. It's me as Larry, Bishop Walker, to cast out the devil and bind him. If I don't bind him, the devil is going to come. You understand? That's why Abraham here, he had to drive away those vouchers. It was his responsibility to drive everything that wants to save the vision and accomplishment of the plan of God in your life. And so he drove these vouchers away. Now when the sun was going down, he fell in a deep sleep. See? When you fell in a deep sleep, then God started to commune with Abraham. Now mind you, when these animals were cut, what flowed? Blood was shed of the animals. Now I told you, anytime blood is shed in the Old Testament, it depicts the pictures, the blood that was going to be shed by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Living God. You understand? And so, when the deep sleep fell upon Abraham, God started telling him exactly what's going to happen to him. He even prophesied that he's going to have his descendants who are going to be Egypt and be afflicted 400 years. What happened to the children of Israel when, more, when Joseph went to Egypt? He was born to Potiphar. And he ended up in Potiphar's house. He went into the prison and finally became the assistant to Pharaoh. Then he brought his brothers who came to Egypt. From I think 72 of them, they grew to become 3 million people. They grew so much, but they stayed in Egypt under bondage for 400 years, according to the prophecy of God right here. And so what happened? And, and also the nation, who they save, I will judge afterwards, they shall come with great position. How did the children of Israel come out of Egypt? That's how the children of Israel left Egypt. And also the nation whom they serve our judge, and afterward they shall come out with great possession. Verse 15. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. Verse 16. But in the fourth generation, mind you, I said a generation is how many years? 40 years. In the fourth generation, they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, the Amorites, you see, God measures your iniquity. You can sin and sin and sin 30%. Sin and sin and sin 40%. See, here he said the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Which means I think there was room for these devils to change their mind, but they didn't. And it came to pass, when the sun went down, and it was dark, that, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the river, to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadomites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Ephraim, verse 21, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gegeshites, and the Jebusites. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian mid-servant whose name was Hagar. Now, when God spoke these words, 
he said, I'll give you this land to your descendants. In the fourth generation, they shall come to this land. And he mentioned these wicked nations which they are going to overthrow. Even though God said he's going to take to you the Jebusites, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Kenizzites, it was not just going there and say, hey, Jebusites, get out. Uh-uh. It was not going to say, hey, Canaanites, here I come, get out. No. They were to fight these nations. So even though God has given us a vision to win Dallas for Jesus, there will be opposition that will come in our face. We're going to fight the devil to get what belongs to us. Although the land belongs to us, Dallas belongs to us, Plano belongs to us, we still have to fight those demons that are holding the people bound to release what they have so that we can progress with the vision that God has given us. Our wealth is with the devils out there. The vehicles we need are with the demons out there. Demons are going to try and get on things like get the camcorder when you're about to start television ministry as a small city. Get your equipment, bind you financially, push you in a place where you, can, you, you have problems to maneuver so that you are inhibited and you can do nothing because you got no means. He will block the finances from flowing into your house or ministry so you can do nothing. Because with no money, you can't run a ministry. You can't do nothing. But you see, Abraham believed God. And because he believed God, God released his power to set him free. This was the cutting of the covenant. The Bible said the Lord walked among the pieces. What do we see? Verse 17, and it was, it came to pass when the sun went down, and it was dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven. Now, theologians have studied this and said that smoking woman was actually God himself walking among the pieces in a figure of eight. That's how he walked, in a figure of eight. Then they said the torch, because it was a burning furnace, a smoking oven, and a burning torch. They said the burning torch is Jesus. You see, there are these things which are figures, which they interpret as heavenly beings. The furnace, God. The torch, Jesus. Then the birds which were there and they were not cut. The catadogs is a representation of the Holy Ghost. So the three, God in one, were there in the form of the torch, the burning furnace, and the birds. And as God walked in a figure of eight, he spoke what was going to happen. A figure of eight, eight means infinity. It means this agreement is without end. Infinity means you cannot measure whatever you are measuring. I remember when I was working for the power division, and if we were measuring the resistance of uh, insulation, and our meter got to infinity, we knew that our insulation was so good that there would be no leakage of electricity. There was a little eight laying in a horizontal position. Infinity means this thing is without end. You cannot reach the end. It will never end. And so God cut a covenant with Abraham and became a friend of Abraham. And this was the beginning of the Old Testament. Well, but everyone, this is Bishop Dr. Lawrence Mamba, my wife, Terina Mamba, here in Dallas, Texas, the United States of America. And the word of my father told me, signing off and saying, everyone, I'll talk to you shortly. God bless you. Keep reading and be blessed. God bless you and amen.